Welcome to Deeper, a podcast by Wollongong Baptist Church. Join us as we take the plunge and dive deeper into God's Word, the Bible. Here, we'll unpack and examine further the Bible talks presented on Sundays across our three English-speaking services. Today, we'll be thinking through more from our latest installment in our series in the Old Testament book of Isaiah, as together we study chapters 40 through to 66. So, let's get right into it and dive deeper. to another episode of Deeper. We are so pleased that you have taken the time to tune in again this week. Uh, my name is Grace Jones and joining me today is Pastor Mark Roberts. Hi, Mark. Hey, Grace. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty well. How are you? Yeah, I'm good. I'm going good. It's nice and sunny today. Summer's here, isn't it? Yeah, it's really quite warm and uh, I've definitely noticed a gear shift in the weather. Mm. Um, you preached on Sunday, which actually feels like quite a number of days ago now. It does. Can you help us out and give us a bit of a reminder of what your sermon was about? I would be happy to, yeah. So we, we looked at Isaiah 59 and uh, we started with the question of looking around at the the injustice and the darkness in the world. How are we supposed to make sense of that, especially in light of the fact that our God is a God of justice, that he wants a world that is just and right and good, uh, but obviously our world is not. So how do we make sense of that? Has God failed somehow? Is somebody else to blame? What are we supposed to do? That was kind of the tension we started with. Mm. And uh, Isaiah 59 um, gives us a kind of surprising answer to that question, that objection that Israel have towards God. Uh, and basically Isaiah says, you've got to look in the mirror, first of all, to see where the problem is coming from. It's from your own hearts, your own sin. All of the human race is guilty before God and we're the ones who have manufactured the darkness in the world. So mm. we're guilty for that. Um, and so sort of issued a challenge for people to recognize that, yes, they have contributed to the darkness. The darkness starts with us. Um, but then Isaiah has a second part to his answer where he says that uh, once we recognize the darkness in ourselves, if we want to escape it, we need to look to the Lord and we're told in the second half of the chapter that as God surveys the landscape of this dark and unjust world, he sees no one to intervene, and so he chooses to intervene himself. And we thought about how spectacular that is, mm. that God decides to put himself forward as the one to work salvation for his people, and that he does that by paying for the sin of his people through his servant that we've already talked about throughout this whole book of Isaiah. Uh, and we saw this picture there towards the end of the, the um, chapter of this, uh, as as God arrives, that there is both redemption for people who have repented from their sins, but there's also a very strong, scary warning of retribution, um, that God will repay people for the wrong they've done. And so we kind of just ended there with that pretty sobering reality that... Mm. We all need to escape the judgment of God. And the way to do that is to repent and to turn to the servant who pays for our sin for us. Mm. Well, um, let's take a moment to uh, zoom in a little bit more closely at some of the verses within the text. Mm. Um, a couple of questions that I guess have arisen from that. Um, firstly, let's have a look at verse 2. Mm. Uh, we're often told that God, God always hears our prayers. But um, let me read you this verse. It says... But your iniquities have separated you from your God. 
your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. Mm. Um, does God then choose not to listen to people? Mm. If I'm still in sin, is God ignoring me? Yeah. Um, I think I want to say sort of yes and sort of no to that question. So the reason I suppose why that is a question is because we have this whole theology that we built from the Bible that um, any only anything that we do is acceptable and pleasing to God through Jesus. And so uh, it, it, God shows favor to me because of Christ. It doesn't, it's not on my own merits. Right. And so we rightly recognize that aspect that anytime God is favorably disposed towards us, it's not because we we deserve it, it's because Christ deserves it and because we're in him, we get that blessing through him. Mm. Um, and so the same kind of goes for the fatherly attention that God pays towards us in prayer, that he listens to us because of Jesus. Um, and so we feel very nervous then of a verse like that that seems to suggest that God is going to not listen to us on the basis of our own performance. Mm. We could sort of go, hang on a second, like, isn't isn't God supposed to disregard my own behavior and my own godliness and holiness and righteousness and just look at Jesus and make his decision about how he's going to treat me based on Jesus? Yes, that's true. But let's not soften the many places in the Bible where this specific warning is made explicit that, on the basis of your sin, your unholiness, uh, God will distance himself from people. So it doesn't just come up here. It comes up quite a number of times in the Psalms and in the in um, Proverbs. So Proverbs fifteen twenty nine, The Lord is far from the wicked, but he hears the prayer of the righteous. Uh, so he's here he's showing um, attention to a righteous person, but closing his ears to a wicked person. Uh, there's a very interesting encounter in John chapter 9 where John, uh, where Jesus heals a blind man and then the man is, is questioned by the religious authorities. And as, he's, as the man is explaining sort of what Jesus did, uh, he, he, says, he has this throwaway line to uh, the religious leaders and he says, we know that God doesn't listen to sinners. He listens to the godly person who does his will. And so he goes on and explains, well, if, if God is listening to Jesus, Jesus must be a good godly person, right? There's just this shared level of assumption in the Jewish society. We know that God doesn't listen to sinners. like, And that, that's, you know, that's offered there not necessarily as a definitive kind of um, statement about the truth of God, but just as a, a, a little sample, if you like, of what the Jewish people had come to understand on the basis of the Old Testament, that God doesn't listen to sinners. And so there's, I think there is some truth in there. We don't want to gloss over that. Mm. The question I think for us to wrestle with... It's a with, scary thought. It really is, yeah. yeah. Um, it's, it, I, it is only kind of half the picture because there is, of course, a difference for us who are in Christ and whether the same kind of dynamic is true for us, whether God does ever close his ears to those who are in Christ. I think, though, that the answer is a, a tentative yes, that there is... Um, a a refusal to answer the prayers of Christians or a f- refusal even to listen to the prayers of Christians at times. So let me give you, give you a couple of examples here. So uh, James chapter 5, um, where uh, towards the end of the chapter, 
Um, James is talking about the ministry of elders in the church, coming and praying for sick people, asking for healing, that sort of thing. And he has this little comment there in verse 16, that the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. So he envisions actually that the result of your prayers depends on whether you are a righteous person here. And I take it that he's not referring to every Christian who is counted as righteous in Christ. That's obviously true of all people. I think he's making a distinction between why some prayers do something and some prayers don't. And he seems to suggest that it's on the basis of your godliness as to whether God will be willing to answer that prayer or do something with that prayer. Mm. Uh, so take that for what it's worth. Um, 1 Peter 3 is another very interesting place where um, we're told in, in 1 Peter 3, Peter quotes from Psalm 34, which I'll just read you the quote uh, uh, from uh, verse uh, 9. I'll read. Peter says, Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing, because to this you were called, so that you may inherit a blessing. So he's calling for... Uh, forgiveness and grace and generosity and behavior towards those who do you evil. For what purpose? So that you may inherit a blessing. And he goes on, verse 10, for, quoting from Psalm 34, whoever would love life and see good days must keep their tongue from evil and their lips from deceitful speech. They must turn from evil and do good. They must seek peace and pursue it. Verse 12, for the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their prayer but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Peter seems to be saying that on the basis of your your godliness here, your willingness to not repay evil with evil, but rather with blessing, your ability to love your enemies, on that basis, the Lord will either be attentive to your prayer or close his ears to your prayer. And he, Peter's actually said the exact same thing back a couple of verses earlier when in the, the section where he's talking about the relationship between husbands and wives, and he warns husbands to uh, be considerate as they live with their wives so that nothing will hinder their prayers. And if that's not a warning that your treatment of another human being actually has an impact on whether God listens to your prayers, like, mm. I mean, I don't know what it is. It's pretty kind of yeah. cut and dry there. Now, what do we, how do you kind of put all that stuff together? How do you make sense of that as a Christian? I think we need to try and keep in mind two realities that are at play. There is the the objective unchanging status that we have in Christ as adopted children, acceptable to God, perfectly righteous in his eyes. That's our status. But then there is also another reality that sort of sits over the top of that, if you like, uh, which is how our Christian walk is going with the Lord. And that changes. That that does go up and down. That's a subjective thing that we can do well at or badly at. Mm. And it seems to me that on the basis of our Christian walk, God does at times withdraw himself or draw closer to Christians. And I think that's been my experience. I think mm -hmm. I can look back at periods in my own life where there's been sin or there's been bitterness, there's been things I've been holding on to, and my prayers just don't feel like they're getting there, if that makes sense. <laughs> um, but periods of, of closeness with the Lord where... There's, I've gone through repenting of sin and reconciling with people, even taking steps of sort of faithful obedience. Uh, prayers in those kind of times often feel like there's 
there's more effectiveness to them. You're seeing more answers to your prayers. There's there's more communion even in uh, with God in those kind of moments. So I think I want to say it's a it's a kind of a yes and a no to your question. Yeah, right. I'm listening to you and I guess maybe anticipating perhaps a question that might be coming up for people, which is what if my prayer is a godly prayer? Like mm. I'm asking about, you know, the salvation of a family member or something. Yeah. And I've been praying that prayer for like a really long time. Yeah. Are you saying that my own conduct is having an impact on whether or not that person is saved? I, I, I think I would say to a person in that scenario, uh, it's always a good thing to self-examine mm. and to reflect on whether there is sin in your life that needs to be dealt with. The same kind of goes for when we're going through suffering or sickness as well, that there are, there are a few places in Scripture that seem to suggest that at those kind of moments reflection and self-assessment and confession of sin is an appropriate kind of thing to do so i can't be prescriptive and say yes definitely your own conduct in life has prevented your loved one from being saved of course i can't make that kind of a pronouncement but it's a worthwhile thing to reflect on for sure Mm, um wow yeah all right well that was question one yeah um, don't worry, we will move through these a bit faster now, but I'm going to jump to the end of our section now yeah. in Isaiah 59, which I don't think was really addressed all that explicitly. No, I skipped on over Sunday. it. Oh, yeah. okay. Well, here we go. I'm going to come back at you. Verse 21, it says this, uh, as for me, this is my covenant with them, says the Lord. My spirit who is on you will not depart from you. And my words that I have put in your mouth will always be on your lips on the lips of your children and on the lips of their descendants from this time on and forever says the lord my question really is what does that mean mm. what is what is verse 21 all about can you can you talk us through that a bit more yeah sure so it's uh, the lord speaking um the lord who in verse uh, 15 has looked down and been displeased with the state of the world so he's speaking and he says this is my covenant with them who's the them I take it to be it's the repentant ones in Israel, the ones who verse 20 is referred to as uh, the ones of of Jacob who repent of their sins. So the Lord's making a covenant with them, but who's he speaking to? Well, he says, my my spirit is on you. Who's the you? Well, it's it's the you there in English anyway can be, it's non-specific as to whether it's a singular or a plural. The Hebrew here is that it's a singular. So he's talking to an individual rather than a group of people. So I don't think he's talking to Israel as a whole. I think he's talking specifically to the servant here, Mm -hmm. um, making a promise that his spirit will be on the servant. Um, It will not depart. The Lord's words will be in the servant's mouth and will always be on on his lips and on the lips of the servant's children and their descendants from this time on and forever. And so I think the essence of it is that God's covenant, his agreement with this people who he's going to come and redeem is on the basis of him always being present for them through the servant. This spirit-empowered, word-speaking um, servant is always going to stand and be uh, acting on behalf of Israel such that the servant will have if you like, spiritual descendants, spiritual children forever. And God's promise, his his new covenant is seen most completely in his servant. 
it's a bit, bit of a strange kind of way to talk about the servant, this one who's going to suffer and die, having spiritual descendants. Um, That's who the servant is at this point, the one who's going to suffer and die. Yeah, we've seen that in, in chapter 53 mm-hmm. uh, already quite explicitly. And actually back in 53, a very similar thing has been said. After it's the, those famous verses about um, the servant assi- being assigned a grave with the wicked and um, with the rich in his death, etc., etc., verse 10 says, Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin... He will see his offspring and prolong his days, and the Lord, the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. So there's this servant who's going to come, going to do the rescuing work of God. He's going to suffer and die, and yet he's going to have children. <laughs> so what does that mean? Mm. Uh, I think when we come to Jesus uh, and, and the revelation of who this servant is in Christ, we can see that he, his children, if you like, inverted commas, are his followers and his people for generations to come. And so I think if you like, we, in 2020, are the proof of God's keeping of his promise here in, in Isaiah 59, verse 21. Yeah, cool. Thanks. Um, well, my last question for you today is, uh, I guess, zooming out and thinking about about this chapter as a whole. Yeah. Um, it seems like, really, it's it would be a great passage for, like, I don't know, an evangelistic outreach kind of thing yeah um why i guess my question is like that's not what this was no um we're mid or towards the end of our isaiah series this was a talk given very much to what we think a christian a christian audience yeah predominantly yeah you seem to be literally preaching to the converted yes so why why are you preaching this message that you know has ideas about judgment and sin and all of that why why are you talking to us about that um there's a few answers to that question. On the most superficial level, I did it because I was told to do it. So that was the <laughs> sermon I, I someone asked me to preach. Um, on another somewhat superficial level, we preach it because it's God's word and because that's what God's word says. And we just want to present what God is saying in his word to our church. And that's our philosophy of preaching. So um, anyway, they're, they're a bit token kind of answers. Uh, we could have chosen a different passage, though. We didn't have to choose this passage when we were planning out this series. Um, but I think we can uh, agree that this sermon, essentially what I was trying to do is present the the message of the gospel, that we are sinful, God is holy, he comes to redeem us, and we must turn to him in repentance for salvation. It's, you know, In summary, that's the message of the gospel. And that's a message that is, yes, it's it's a very appropriate for a non-Christian to hear that, but it's just as appropriate for a Christian to hear that. We, in fact, all need to hear the gospel every single day. Mm. Uh, I always think about um, Paul's letter to the Romans, and in Romans 1, uh, Paul's talking about his, his desire to come to Rome and to be with the Christians in Rome and his travel plans and that sort of thing. And he says that he, he longs to come to Rome to preach the gospel to them <laughs> and they're christians already but mm. paul is saying i want to be there because what you need is to be to be hearing the gospel and that's what a christian does need it needs to be built up in the faith to understand more of who jesus is and what he's done for them and what a life lived in response to this gospel looks like and so you never graduate from the gospel <laughs> and um we want to make sure that as we are preaching in church through whatever book of the Bible we're, we're working through or whatever topic we're working through, that we're never straying far from the gospel because it's both what the non-believer needs and it's what the believer needs to be reminded of. 
I suppose there's another question though, maybe this is really where your question is going, is uh, why, why focus so much on judgment and on the, the need for salvation as opposed to, say, the offer of salvation? Because mm. uh, I'll, I'll admit it was a pretty negative kind of a sermon. It was pretty heavy and like um, thinking about sin is not a fun thing. And I probably spent about 75% of the sermon, you know, really fleshing that stuff out. Um, I think <laughs> I am someone as a preacher that's probably more geared, to, more naturally inclined towards that. And it's probably a reflection of my own testimony, my own Christian experience that um, coming face to face with sin is what drives me more uh, swiftly to my savior. And so mm. that's probably what I'm going to be inclined to do when I preach in the church. So just give you a heads up about that. Um, but there is, I think real validity and real worth to just focusing on the reality of God's judgment and his holiness and our desperate situation in light of that. Um, you and I and Heidi, the other intern are doing some training at the moment, reading a book called yeah. Gospel DNA mm -hmm. by a guy called Richard Koken. He has a couple of quotes in that book that I thought I'd share. Um, in talking about not shying away from addressing the topic of judgment um, and talking to people about the reality of God's judgment, mm, he, says, a good chapter. he says this. <laughs> he says, Too often we've thought that if we're nice enough for long enough, people will eventually come to church and hear about Jesus and get saved. <laughs> And uh, we were discussing that as a pretty stinging indictment of our attitude of let's just let's just tiptoe around the the hard bits of the Bible yes. and the reality of a, a scary, holy, powerful God who will come with in vengeance, and just hope that over time people will sort of by osmosis become Christians. Yeah, that's right. And that doesn't happen. No. Um, the reality of people making a decision to give their life to Jesus only comes really when they've understood their sin. Mm -hmm. And so let's not shy away from that. Um, there's one more quote from a wonderful old Welsh preacher called Martin Lloyd-Jones, uh, who was accused often of trying to, uh, preaching too much about God's judgment and sin and hell and uh, trying to scare people into becoming Christians. And this was his response. He says, I'm not afraid of being charged, as I frequently am, with trying to frighten you for... I am definitely trying to do so. If the wondrous love of God in Christ Jesus and the hope of glory is not sufficient to attract you, then such is the value I attach to the worth of your soul, I will do my utmost to alarm you with a sight of the terrors of hell. Whew. What a quote. What a quote. And I think what he's saying is that every human life Every human soul is so important that by any means necessary, we want we want people to flee to the Savior. Mm. And from time to time, that's going to mean showing people something they don't like, mm. something that's true, out of love for them, uh, so that they will see how desperately they need to move from where they are and move to Jesus. Mm. And so I think uh, in a far less uh, profound way than Martin Lloyd-Jones, that was what I was trying to do on Sunday, and I don't really want to apologize for that. I'm though you're not asking not me asking to. to. <laughs> um, but that's why we're not going to stop doing this. I think yeah. we're not going to ever shy away from telling people about this very serious reality.
And so um, what ought to be the response of the Christian who is firstly reminded of the reality of their own situation, of the grace that they have received in Christ, of the goodness of that message, what then? Like, uh, ought we to follow in your footsteps in speaking more about judgment? Uh, yes, absolutely. Um, if, if we love the people around us, then we can't pretend that the judgment isn't coming. So yes, we ought to speak about judgment. I think first and foremost, we ought to be, uh, when when we are confronted as Christians with our own sin, the need for um, finding refuge in Christ alone, that we ought to repent. We ought to pray prayers of um, asking for forgiveness. Uh, we ought to thank God with tears in our eyes for what we have through Christ. Mm. Um, so we ought to do that kind of inner work ourselves first. But yeah, we ought to take action. We ought to live lives that... Uh, makes sense in light of the coming day of judgment, and um, that mean it does mean telling people about um, uh, about that day, but it also means living holy and self controlled lives as we await for the return of Jesus. Um, yeah, one Peter it would be a great book to read if uh, you're thinking about what does it mean to live now, waiting for that final day. How does, how, does, how do you make how do you live a life that makes sense now yeah, in light of judgment? You can go back and listen to some of those sermons from the other. Yeah, the other that's term. right. Um, when, when did we do one, Peter? Term four last year, I think. Like um, there's yeah. a whole bunch of podcasts mm. on episodes on it too, so you could have a listen to those as well. Mm. All right, well, we'll leave it there for today. Thanks so much for joining me, Mark. Thanks, Grace. I guess I'll catch you for our next series. We're not too far off that. That's one fine. more week of Isaiah and then on into one John. So I'll see Looking you then. Looking forward to it. Yeah, it'll be good. You have been listening to Deeper by Wollongong Baptist Church. We'd love you to join us at any of our services this coming Sunday. For details and to hear further content, please head to our website at wollongongbaptist.org.